0: Let me encourage you to open your Bibles to Psalm 46. We'll look at Psalm 46 first of all this evening, just briefly, and then Psalm 48. Thank you so much for being with us this evening. We have all kinds of visitors from all kinds of places. I want you to know that you are special and we are thankful for your presence. We appreciate people who make it a priority to worship the Lord. I will say as we begin this lesson tonight, as I call the city of God, as you may have guessed from Mike's song that he led, a wonderful city of God, that this song, this sermon has been inspired by our classes on the Psalms on Tuesday nights, as we studied recently, Psalm 46 and um, Psalm 48. Psalm 46 and Psalm 48, as we studied those psalms recently, um, that inspired that. But I'll tell you something else that did. Um, I believe the last lecture that Phil Roberts ever gave at Florida College uh, was on this subject. And he did in this what he did so often did well so often with so many subjects, is to tie this theme together from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. And what he did in print was better than what I will do in speech this evening, but hopefully it will help us to get a grasp of this theme. I guess with that introduction and talking about the Psalms classes, I need to stress, we will not meet this, this Tuesday night. But look at Psalm 46, Psalm 46, verse one, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear. Though the earth should change. And though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam. Though its mountains quake and its swelling pride. Selah. There is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God. The holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Sillah. Look at Psalm 48. In the first three verses, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great King. God in her palaces has made Himself known as a stronghold. God is in this city. This city is his city. This city is the city of the great king. And everything in the city is magical to him. It's magical to him because the God who dwells there. Because of the God who dwells there. Look at Psalm 48 in verses uh, 11 through 13. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk around Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider her ramparts. Go through her palaces that you may tell it to the next generation. I mean, everything about this city fascinates him. Because this is God's city. Now... There's a hint, or there are all kinds of hints really, all through these psalms, that he's talking about more than a literal city. That he's talking about more than, than, than simply Jerusalem. For example, in Psalm 46 verse 4, there is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God. What city runs through Jerusalem? Bob and Susie can tell you, there is none. They've just been there. There's no river that runs through the city. So he's talking about something more than a literal city of Jerusalem. But he is in awe of the city of God. To develop this thing, look at Genesis 4. Genesis 4. You know the story of Cain and Abel. You know the story that Cain did evil, first of all, by not offering acceptable sacrifice, and then he kills his brother. When God confronts him with his sin, he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Notice in verse 17... Cain had relations with his wife. She conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city. And he named the city Enoch after the name of his son. Our first point we want to develop briefly tonight is the idea that cities are often in the Bible a collection of sin and evil. It is a bad sign that the first city in the Bible is built by Cain. That's a bad sign right off the bat. But not only do we see that from Genesis 4, but the first city that's really focused on much in Scripture is in Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, the Bible tells us that the whole earth was of the same language and used the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And in verse 3... Come, let us make bricks, they say, and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach to heaven. And let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise lest we be scattered abroad on the face of the earth." Notice he talks not only about building a tower, but he talks about, they talk about building a city in verse five, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. in verse eight, God scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Babel is one of the first cities really focused on in Scripture. Now, I want you to keep this in mind too. The word Babel here, I don't know why it's translated Babel. And everywhere else it's translated Babylon. Because it is the same Hebrew word in every instance. I don't know why they don't translate Babylon here or Babel elsewhere. But it's the same word. Now, I want you to remember when the book of Revelation ends with a tale of two cities, Babylon, the harlot, and Jerusalem, the bride. Think about how the Bible started. And notice how man in cities tries to organize himself. And to promote himself, cities can be places of self promotion. Cities can be places of self glorification where they build themselves a city and they build themselves a tower to make a name for themselves. A place where men organize themselves and, and build and align themselves to defy God. Now, if you look at a concordance, the next time a city is going to be mentioned, is in Genesis 18 and 19 with Sodom. I'm not going to list every city in the Bible. We'll stop that list here. How many times in storytelling do you hear stories, sometimes true, sometimes fictional, of a young man, of a young woman, who leads rural roots To go to a city and is corrupted in the bright lights in the big city. It's always told that way. It's not told the other way. It's not told the person who leaves the big city and goes to a rural environment and is corrupted. But in contrast. In contrast to the men, as they organize together to promote themselves and defy God, God seeks to establish for himself a city. In contrast to the tower of Babel and the city of Babel in Genesis 11 is God's call of Abraham in Genesis 12, the Lord called Abraham and said, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make your name great. And I will bless you. And I uh, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Now, the clearest evidence... That Genesis 12 is to some degree a contrast with Genesis 11. That Genesis 12 and the call of Abraham is to some degree a contrast with Genesis 11 and the building of the city and the building of the tower is perhaps contrasting Genesis 11 verse 4 where the men of Babel say, let us make a name for ourselves and God who says to Abram in Genesis 12 and verse 2, I will make make your name great. They, Abraham, is not initiating this call. Abraham is not the one seeking to write his name across the heavens. God says, I will make your name great in contrast to the people of the city who are determined to make their name great. There are also other contrasts in this story. But what I want you to see in line with the biblical story as a whole, that when God calls Abraham to leave your country and leave your kin and leave your father's house and get up and go to a land that I will show you, when God tells Abraham to do it, and He does it, this is about something bigger than just one man moving far away, one man moving thousands of miles away. This is about seeking God and His city. How do I know that? Well, look at Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, in verses 8 through 10. Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed to go out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. He was looking for a city, for the city which has foundation, whose architect and builder is God. When Abraham left the land of Canaan, which by the way was much more sophisticated, it was the technological center of the world in his day. He left that to go to Canaan. It was about seeking a city whose builder and architect is God. And the Bible tells us, look at verse 13. All these died in faith, Abraham and Sarah All these died in faith without receiving the promises, having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, having confessed they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a city, a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly country. Why is it today that some leave our sophisticated technological world, our world of affluence and prosperity, to go to third world countries, that maybe are as much as a hundred years behind the times in all these matters. Because they're seeking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Now in the Bible story, God chose a city. To establish His name. He chose Jerusalem. In 1 Kings 11, it's stated at least three times in the text. 1 Kings 11, verse 13, verse 32, verse 36. That God had chosen the city. That is the city under discussion. In Psalm 46. In Psalm 48... But Jerusalem is more than a physical city. It is a theological symbol. As the Bible says in Galatians 4 and verse 26, The Jerusalem is above, is free. She is the mother of us all. Now, I ask you, if you would expect God to found a city, what would you expect that city to look like? What would you expect God's city to be? Well, we would expect, and there are some Psalms that deal with this reality. But first of all, God's city is going to be a place where God is, God's presence is. It is the city of the living God, as Psalm 48 verse 2 says, and so many other places say. You would expect a city that was founded by God, you would expect that city to be a holy city. The holy city. Listen to Isaiah 52 verse 1. Awake, awake, clothe yourself in strength, O Zion. Clothe yourselves in beautiful garments. O Jerusalem, the holy city. The holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will no more come into you. You would expect God's city to be that. God is there. And God's presence would drive away all evil. And Isaiah 52 1 presents it as a city where the unclean, the uncircumcised cannot enter. Now that term holy city is used quite frequently in the Bible of Jerusalem. Choose in other verses besides the ones that I have on the slide. But do you remember even during the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 in verse 5, the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. The holy city. And after the crucifixion of Christ, Matthew 27 verse 53, says, coming out of his tombs after the resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now keep all that in mind, okay? But you would expect this city to be holy. If God lives there, there's not going to be high crime rate. There's not going to be a lot of evil. There's not going to be much wickedness. And I want you to know the list would be much longer. And Brother Robert's list was. But it's a place of refuge, A place of shelter from the cities of the world. A place... Where you can go and be at peace among those who want to know God. Psalm 46 pictures the world falling apart. God is our strength and refuge. A very present help in time of trouble. And even though the mountains mountains collapse into the heart of the sea. The Bible tells us that the sea is safe. Because God is there, it is a place of righteousness. You would think, that in God's city, there's going to be holiness. There's going to be righteousness. In Psalm 122 verse 5, thrones were set for judgment. The thrones of the house of David. Psalm 122 is where the writer said, I was glad they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And his heart is overjoyed because our feet are standing within your gates, Jerusalem. And he, he is, everything about it is magical to him because of the God who dwells there. Now. That's what we would expect for a city where God dwelled. And Jerusalem represented that city. Is that what we get with Jerusalem in the Bible? All of those passages come from the time of Manasseh or the time of Ahaz, kings of Judah. And I mentioned them in reverse order chronologically. Those passages talk about either that these kings did more evil than all the nations before them. That the Lord dispossessed before Israel or either these passages talk about they built altars in God's house. They built altars in God's house to other gods in the very place that God established for his name. What's the point? The point in the city that should have been characterized by holiness. And the city that should have been characterized by righteousness. Instead, it was a center of idolatry. And the Bible says... In Isaiah chapter 1, it addresses the leaders of Sodom and says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers. It addresses the city of Jerusalem and says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He's calling the leaders of Jerusalem the leaders of Sodom. And Gomorrah. It didn't live up to its ideal. And Isaiah 1 verse 21 says, How the faithful city has become a harlot. She who was full of justice, righteousness once lodged in her, but now murderers. The city of righteousness. Righteousness and justice has become a city of murderers. The city that was so faithful has become a harlot. If you look to these passages, these passages speak of Jerusalem's sisters being Samaria and Sodom. And Lamentations 4 verse 6 says the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the sin of Sodom. They did not live up to the ideal. The city of righteousness has become the city of sin. The city of holiness has become the city of unholiness. And it's striking that in 2 Kings 25 and 2 Chronicles 36 that Jerusalem, the city of God, is destroyed. Now get this by Babylon. Babylon that represented man's sins, man's wickedness, man lifting his fist in pride and defiance of God. That city. Destroys God's city. And you remember what happened in Matthew 2? When the word gets out that there is a king, a Messiah that has been born, the Bible says that Herod and all Jerusalem were terrified. This city is now not expecting deliverance. This city is afraid at the news of its newborn king. And Jesus said, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that stones the prophets and kills those who are sent to you. How often I would have gathered you together like a hen gathers her cheeks under her wings. But you were not willing. Jerusalem has killed the prophets, and now they are killing Jesus. Isn't it striking that Jerusalem was called the holy city in Matthew 27, verse 53, right after the crucifixion, when the city showed itself to be anything but holy? But God, God does not give up on this desire to build for Himself a city. A city that's characterized by righteousness. A city that's characterized by holiness. A city where He dwells. A city that is a place of refuge amidst all the sin of the world. God doesn't give up. In spite of our sin, in spite of the fact that we turn the holy city into a harlot. God doesn't give up. We will not get to, and we could not, if we had four lessons, go over this set of passages from the Old Testament thoroughly. But I want you to notice this. I want you to take a mental note of this. Look how many Old Testament prophets in their books, in Isaiah 565 or 17, is only the start. I don't have an ending place there. But look how many of these prophetic books end with a picture of a glorified Jerusalem. It ends with a picture of a glorified Jerusalem. Now again, it's not something more than physical Jerusalem. It's about something more than a literal city. It's something bigger than that. It's a theological concept of God seeking to build a place where he and man dwell together in peace and fellowship. The last word of Ezekiel 48 is the Lord is there. And Zechariah 14 paints a beautiful picture of the fact that even the bells on the horses will say, holy to the Lord. You may remember that the words holy to the Lord were written across the turban of the high priest. Holy to the Lord. These are even going to be written on bells of the horses which were unclean animals. Everything in the city would be holy. And all of that, of course, prepares us For the book of Revelation and how it ends. As I alluded to the fact earlier, the book of Revelation ends with a tale of two cities. It ends with Jerusalem of Babylon the harlot and Jerusalem... The bride. Babylon the harlot is introduced in Revelation 17. Jerusalem the bride introduced in Revelation 21 verses 9 and 10. But just as God dwelt in that Old Testament city, God will dwell in this city. In Revelation 21, verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be among them. In verses 21 and 22, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illumined it. And the lamp is the lamp. God dwells in the city. And because God dwells in this city, it is the holy city. Revelation 21 verse 2, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 10 describes the city the same way. He carried me away in a spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Let's go back to a couple of passages in the book of Hebrews. Look at Hebrews twelve. Hebrews twelve contrast Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb, as it's called in Deuteronomy, with Mount Zion. Mount Sinai is described in Hebrews 12 verses 18 through 21 as being a blazing fire of darkness, gloom, and whirlwind where they heard the blast of the trumpet and they begged that no further word be spoken. Even Moses says in verse 21, I am full of fear and trembling, but in verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city, of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriad of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a covenant, of the new covenant, and sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. You have come to Mount Zion, the city. Of the living God. Hebrews has told us that Abraham was seeking for this city. It holds out hope of this city. And in Hebrews 13 and verse 14. The Bible says here we do not have a lacking city. But seek The city which is to come. Where is your home? To me, I find that question in conversation even faster. Where are you from? Where have you lived most of your life? And I get asked that question a lot. Now, I have been blessed to live and Many different places. And all of them have their strong points and weak points. But home will always be, from my perspective, where I was raised in Tennessee. From a certain perspective. But in a certain perspective, home is wherever we live right now. That's the place you feel most at peace. That's the place that intrusions, hopefully, are the fewest. And troubles the least. But there's a certain sin. Which even of those answers is wrong. Home is not where you were raised where you happen to live but home is where God is and what's the purpose of the lesson to create a desire in your heart to be with God to be with Him in His city it is remarkable How God intervened in human history to seek to establish a city. And when this city rejected and God then delivered the city again and the city goes back into the same cycle of sin, God doesn't give up but continues to hold out the hope of a city that will be A wonderful city of God. A place beyond our ability to grasp or to relate. God is indescribable. And that home that he has created for us would be just as indescribable. But may our hearts long for it. May that be our home. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we are sinful and rebellious, and we have been defiant towards you. and yet you continue to reach out to us and refuse to give up on us and seek to call us into a right relationship with you to prepare a place where you will dwell with us where all trouble and trial will be left behind, where holiness and peace will reign let us long for you as we long for these results of your presence may you fill our hearts may you turn our hearts toward home in Jesus we pray Amen. The Bible story can be told different ways. We have sought to do that a little tonight with the idea of the city of God. But again, the Bible story is that we've sinned. We've departed from God. God has reached out to us. We have continued to sin and continue to rebel. But God has persisted on bringing us back into fellowship with Him. If you are moved by that story and you want to turn to Him, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that He was raised again, if you believe that, And you need to turn from your sins in repentance, to acknowledge Him, and to have your sins washed away in baptism. We want to help you as we stand and as we sing.